Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. that fun to worship in a totally different way. Uh, We are continuing in our series, Game Changers. And as you know, we've been using this uh, sports metaphor, this idea that there's a moment, an event that takes place that changes the game from that point forward. And and today, we're going to look at another game changer. We're actually going to look at a game changer that is often overlooked, misunderstood, misrepresented, if not downright forgotten. And that's the Holy Spirit. Because how often we forget about the Holy Spirit or we misunderstand the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at that today. Um, Now, there are game changers that are uh, misunderstood and forgotten. So just to put us in our context, uh, think of, for example, of crazy glue. Uh, You probably didn't know this, but crazy glue was invented around World War II. A scientist named Harry Coover was trying to create uh, some things with plastic chemicals. And he kept coming up with a solution that would become very, very sticky and it could not accomplish the goal that he was trying to do, so he would just throw it out. And nine years later, he was working on another project, and once again, he tried using the same chemicals, and once again, they proved to be uh, very faithful in their makeup, and they got very sticky, even their fingers got stuck together, they threw the formula out. Now, Coover decided, well, maybe there's something to this sticky substance, and so he decided to patent uh, the, the formula, which we now know as superglue, uh, and superglue was a game changer that was at first ignored, ignored for nine years, but it turned out to save lives. Uh, in the war, Vietnam War, superglue was used to stop bleeding or close wounds of soldiers. Many, many lives were saved. So you see, this is an example of of one of these game changers that we might overlook and not see the value of, but it could be extremely important. We still use superglue today, maybe a different form of it, during surgeries or in trauma situations. And I don't know how many of you have that liquid Band-Aid that you buy at the store for those annoying paper cuts that burn when you go and wash dishes or something. You put that stuff on, no problem, right? So today we're going to look at a, a biblical game changer that, like superglue, tends to be forgotten, tends to be misunderstood. And we're going to be on Romans chapter 8. Did you bring your Bibles? We want to be chapel people. Bring your Bibles. Show your Bibles. Raise them up. Okay, so you have it. Woohoo! Awesome. And we do have Bibles also in the back. If you don't have one, one is for you. So please, I am not discouraged or bothered when you get up and get one. You can use your iPads, your phones, because today I'm going to be on the whole chapter, and you might want to mark something. This chapter is all about the Holy Spirit. It's it's Paul's kind of like uh, treatise to the Holy Spirit. And there's actually a verse within this chapter that also gets misunderstood, misused. Uh, It's not forgotten. A lot of people know this passage, but it often gets uh, used in probably the most harmful way. And you know this passage. Let me just read it to you. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. How many of you know this passage, right? Now, this passage uh, is used all the time. I've used it myself. I'm just as guilty, so don't feel bad if you have. Uh, We often will use this passage for our own circumstance or a circumstance of someone else and go, hey, you know, God's working it out. You know, it's going to work out, whatever you're dealing with. But sometimes uh, that passage is not, it's not good to use it this way. We know that God is good, right? We hear this in church all the time. God is good all the time, right? All the time. God is good. You've heard that, right? God is good. And this passage tells us he's working all things for the good. But there are times where it does not feel that way. When you get the call from the doctor and you sit down in front of them and they tell you you've got cancer. When you go through the chemotherapy, you do everything, radiation, you do have surgeries, and the doctor says, it's come back. There's nothing more we can do. When your marriage that you've worked so hard for ends up in divorce, when you've been single for a long time, hoping to be in relationship, and you can't find that other person. When you, your business falls apart, when you lose your job, when your child commits suicide or your friend commits suicide, when a baby dies, there are times in lives where this passage, it's almost like acid in someone's wound, isn't it? And I, as a pastor, and when I worked as a chaplain at Children's Hospital, I actually met people who told me that someone used this verse upon them. And I could see their countenance change when they were telling me the story. It was like someone says, well, you know, God's working out for the good. And you see them go, get out of my face. Because in the pain of the suffering, we cannot understand how can God possibly work out for the good this circumstance. There are certain things that happen in life where it's almost impossible to imagine how God can work it out for the good. And so we have to understand this passage in the right context. So we use it well, and we can find hope even in our deepest of suffering, right? So we're going to look at the whole chapter as a context, and then we'll see how this passage fits into that. And so that um, we won't misuse it, misrepresent it. And certainly today, I hope we do not forget it. Let me just pray for us as we begin. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're about to do. Would you, Father, renew our minds? Would you transform us, Lord, into the image of your Son, even as we sit and listen to your truth? May this truth today be a game changer for all of us, But I'm convinced, as it was in the case for the 9 o'clock service, there are people here today whom you have invited to hear this truth. You have something to say to them. And so, Lord, I pray that your voice will be stronger, clearer, kinder, deeper than mine. Would you speak to us, O God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, chapter 8, if you have your Bibles open in Romans chapter 8, it begins with the word. Somebody who has the Bible, read it for me. Therefore, therefore, the chapter starts with the word therefore. And Paul uses this term quite often, and we have to be careful because if we start just reading and moving along this chapter like it sits by itself, we miss that he's making a transition from what he has done in the past. And so let me just give us a quick overview of the first chapters of the letter to the Romans. Uh, From chapter 1 to chapter 3, 
Paul spends his time telling us about God the Father, the creator of the universe, who God is, he is just, he is good, and he tells us about us in comparison to God, that none of us come close to the glory of God. Every one of us, right, falls short. We are rebellious by our nature. And that there is sin in our lives, and God in his justness has to do something about that. Then he gets to verse ch- uh, chapters 4 through 7. And those chapters are all about Jesus, about the gracious work that Jesus did on the cross. That God did do something about the evil and the sin of this world, even about the sin in our lives. And he did that on the cross. He went and he paid the price that we, he took the punishment we deserved. He gave up his life so that we could have life. Because in our sinfulness, Paul tells us, the end would have been death. But God did not want to leave it that way. He sent his son so that we could have life. And in the mix of that truth, Paul now says, therefore, and he goes into this chapter now telling us about the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And he begins by telling us this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, no longer do we fall upon the oppression of sin not even upon the oppression of the law that reveals our sin, we have been changed by the work of Jesus. And he actually ends the chapter with similar words. In verse 34, Paul says, who is the one who condemns? He says, no one. He begins, there's no condemnation. Who is the one who condemns? No one. And in between these two verses are the life-transforming, game-changing truth we need to hear this morning. Everything between those two verses is kind of like, how many of you love Oreo cookies? Anybody love Oreo cookies? Okay, they're my favorite. My husband buys them in the bulk, and we got this cool container that you just pop it open and have an Oreo. I mean, whatever. I just, just, I just got off on another thought. But... <laughs> An Oreo cookie, right? You've got the brown cookie and the cream in the middle and the other cookie, right? And so there's no longer condemnation. Who is it that condemns? No one. The cream, the sinner, that's where we're going to go today. And there is this passage, Romans 8.28. But we have to look at the whole cream in order to take that text in context, right? No, the whole chapter is about the Holy Spirit. And Paul, throughout his writing, constantly reminds us that the Holy Spirit is a gift from God. It's a gift. Even Jesus himself tells us that it is a gift. Look, in Luke chapter 11, you read when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, right? Hallowed be thy name. Thy, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. And right after he teaches them how to pray, he goes into this whole thing about how you give good gifts to your children, how much more God, who is good, give gives good gifts to his children. And he says this on verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Think about that. God gives us a good gift. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Those who put their trust in Jesus receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift from God. And as we go further, let me also remind us of another words of Paul out of 1 Corinthians 
two, well, we are reminded that the Spirit is not an it. It's a member of the Trinity. Is a, we'll use a he for this, for pronoun for this moment. We, we, but here's what it says. It says, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. It is a gift. It is part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit the member of the Godhead, is a gift to you and I. And the Spirit represents the presence of God. He brings the presence of God in us, and we cannot escape the presence of God. Psalm 139 says this, Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? We cannot go anywhere. This gift that comes from God is wherever we go. The Spirit is everywhere, all around us, all that we see. All that we see is entrenched in the Spirit. And the Spirit came, the gift that we have received, came to give us freedom and life. And this is how Paul begins this chapter. He says this in verse 2. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit has come for a purpose. There's many things that the Spirit does. But here we see Paul begins by reminding us he gives us life. He came to give us freedom. He came to take us out of death into life. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will rise us from the dead. Though we might die physically, we will have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, those who I set free will be free indeed. We see that in John chapter 8. Now think about the clay that Angie was working on this morning, right? It's just, it started out as a clump of clay. Formless. It's actually dirt. And yes, my hands are already dirty. And this clump of clay is essentially who we are. We're not for the hands of God that forms us into individual people. People that are being conformed to his image. The Holy Spirit is in us. And like Angie was before the wheel, is the Holy Spirit is around us, within us, doing a work. And so Paul reminds us in, chapter, in verse 11, he says this, And if the Spirit of him who has raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Paul keeps saying it. He lives in you. He lives in you. He takes you from this to something beautiful. It's the spirit's work in you. God's in you. Think about that for a minute. The almighty God, the creator, the good, good, holy God we just sang about is in you. Do you ever think it can't possibly be? You got to look at my life, the things I think about, the things I do, the things I have done, the way I function. There is no way that God, the creator of the universe, could possibly be in me. Do you feel that sometimes? I do. Here's the thing. It's not that we are completed yet. The Spirit is in us, changing us. We are the temples of the Spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you not know your body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is within you. Recognize that the Holy Spirit is in you doing a work. He is actually at work. As we read earlier, like the potter, like the clay that's in the potter's hand, God is at work doing something with who you are. He's changing you into a new creation, as Paul tells us. In verse 5, Paul says, those who live according to the flesh, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And you know, we probably are in tension all the time. We are sometimes in in the realm of our desires, of our thoughts, of our tendencies, our addictions, and our struggles. And sometimes we're in the realm of the spirit. And Paul reminds us, the spirit is In you, it is a gift of God. Focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing. Submit to the work of the Spirit. Like the clay submits to the potter, submit to what the work of the Spirit is happening. Let him be the one to change you, to transform you. Now, I know I've been a believer for about 15 years, and frankly, I wish there were certain things that we're already done with. Anybody with me? We're like, okay, I should be a lot further than I am. And I know that we're a work in progress, but if I just focus and try to like self-protect or, or control it myself, it's like me taking the, the wheel for myself, and man, if I turn this thing on, there'll be clay. You guys uh, protect yourselves. There'll be clay all over the place. It's like us saying, when we're in the spirit of the flesh, it's like us turning on the wheel like this clay trying to form itself. Can it do so? It can't. Frankly, I believe that if we did, we would probably mold it something like this. Oh, Clay, oh, Angie, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is my best work, sort of. When we're in the sense of the flesh, when we are thinking and protecting and trying to make ourselves into the image of Christ, we cannot do it. We have to submit. Jesus wants to do a new work in you. You know, quite often when I'm up here preaching, I get all insecure. I start thinking, oh my gosh, I'm preaching terrible. And I start to get defensive. I, when I listen to recordings, I can actually hear when I get insecure. And I start to take over, take, try to take charge of what's happening in this room. And that's because I forget that no matter how good or bad a job I do, the spirit is the one at work in you. He's the one who does the conforming, the transforming, the changing of hearts. He's the one who illuminates the word of God in your mind, not me. And I have to constantly let go because I try to control even what I do in this way. How, many, how, do, you, how do you control the work of the Spirit? How do you take over the clay and try to like, you know, Have your way. Paul says, the mind dominated by the spirit thinks of things of the spirit. And you know, he gives us a picture of this cycle. He says, 
First he says, the mind that is bent on the spirit is dead. And then he says, that dead mind is hostile towards God. That dead mind cannot possibly please God ever. It's a deadly cycle, isn't it? A destructive cycle. But the mind that is focused and bent on the spirit is life and peace. That's the difference. We are made into a new creation. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, right? The new is here. That's what God wants to do. God wants to take us from the lump of clay that we are when we say yes to Jesus and make us into something new and beautiful. And I myself can think of the many things God has changed in my life since I became a believer. He, has, he knows where all my little issues are, where my blind spots are. He knows your blind spots. You know, it's a God the potter sitting here. He, he can see. He can see us deep in our hearts and go, yeah, there is bitterness there, and there is anger here, and there's an addiction there, and the Spirit knows what to mold, what to fix, how to fix it. Are you letting the Spirit find those things in your heart? Are you letting the Spirit change you? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, listen to what Paul says. He says, And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate Lord's, the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into the image, to his image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, the Spirit, right? In the Spirit. We are being transformed from glory to glory. He is taking all of our brokenness and changing us, transforming us, conforming us into his image. He knows. He knows the work that he needs to do in you and in me. And you know, Although he's transforming us into the image of his son, it doesn't mean we're all going to look exactly the same because we're different, right? Angie's an artist. I clearly am not. Some of you are doctors. Some of you are psychologists. Some of you are contractors. Some of you are, are accountants. Well, you know, we all have different skills. We have different talents. We have different personalities. We got like the extroverts in the room. Let me hear you. Woohoo! Right? And the introverts, I know you're not going to say anything. Right? We're all different, but look, look what the potter does. He makes each one of us uniquely, but together we still demonstrate the new creation. So he will, he will mold us into the image of his son, but with all that we are. It's not like we suddenly all are going to look the same. Oh no, God loves the diversity of this body. And he, he works everything that we have for his good, for his purpose, to make us into his image. Like the clay is in the hand of the potter, so are you in the hands of God. That's the point of this passage. In verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed the Spirit, if we share in his suffering in order that we might also share in his glory. See, now 
We are a child of God. The Spirit reminds us because so often things will happen in our lives and we'll wonder, we'll wonder, has God left us? Has God stopped the work in my life because I'm either stuck, things aren't changing, or things have gone the wrong way? Have I gone backwards to an old habit? Am I stuck in this habit? And God said, whoa, man, I'm done with you. You're heavy work. The Spirit reminds us we are a child of God, which means we never, ever lose the love of God. We don't lose the love of God. We never lose that standing when we give our lives to Jesus. We never lose the standing of a child of God. My own son went through a journey in his life, seven years of of rebelling himself. He, He went into a deep darkness, and And it was very difficult for him. It was difficult for us. And we had to, like, essentially separate for a season. But I never, ever stopped loving him as my son. He's an amazing man of God. He has a beautiful family. And I love him today the same way I loved him even when he was off in rebellion. You see, that's how God is for us. We don't lose his love. We don't lose our position as his children simply because we're a work in process, simply because we might be stuck, simply because we might still be somewhat rebellious. He doesn't let go. He doesn't let go. You see, God has one purpose in mind. And this is where Romans 8.28 is so important because it says, God works out all things for the, for the good. For the good of those. What is this singular good that Paul is referring us? It says it right after when he says in verse 29, he tells us that we are being conformed into the image of his son. That's what God's doing. The one good he's at work is that ultimately every single one of us will be like his son. We, we will conquer as Paul says, we'll, we'll be changed, we'll, we'll be transformed. You know, there's a difference between conformed and transformed. Conform is to be pressed and changed from the outside. Transform is to be changed from the inside. The Holy Spirit does both. As clay is in the hands of the potter, so are you in the hands of God. And so when we experience trouble in our lives, I spoke to a lady after the last service, became a believer not too long ago, and now she's going through a really rough patch, and she wondered, well, how, how can God work this out for good? Maybe God left me. Today she realized, no, God has not. God is still intent on making me like his son, and he will, he will change me over time. He will keep working. He will keep working. He will never let go. Now think about all the things you love and admire about Jesus. That he was kind, that he was comforting, that he was graceful, that he was a good teacher, that he was a miracle worker, that he was compassionate, that he was obedient, that he sacrificed all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus was, those are the things the Holy Spirit is trying to conform us into. The gifts of the Spirit, as Galatians tells us, that we will be more loving, right? More full of joy, more interested in peace, more able to endure kinder people, 
people who do good things, people who are faithful to one another, that you might be more gentle, that you might have more self-control. God is at work doing all of those things in your life. That is the one and ultimate good that God wants to do in your life. And it means that when we're suffering, we don't slap on this passage like a little Band-Aid on someone's heart and go, oh, honey, I know you're going through that really hard time, but, you know, God works. He's making you like Jesus, so rejoice. If we go do that, we're going to hurt someone. But the truth still stands that even in our suffering, even in our struggle, we are being conformed. We are being conformed by loving hands who want to comfort us in our pain, who wants to to heal our sorrow, who wants to heal our brokenness, but we are nevertheless being conformed into the image of Christ. And he doesn't ever let go of that one purpose. I think of my own life and some of the struggles I've had, and I can think that even in the hardest times, perhaps God got to do the greatest work, where he was able to change my heart in ways perhaps It wouldn't have changed had I not gone through that. Not that I want to go through that again. And not that I wish more things happened to me or to you. But he uses everything. He even uses the good times. When we're at the high moments of life, when all is great, when all is smooth, God's good does not change. He's still working. He's still working the clay to conform us into the image of his son. That is the one and sole purpose of God for our good. That is the good that he's doing. So nothing is wasted. Not a smile, not a tear. Not a cry, not a laughter. Nothing is wasted in the, work of, in the hands of God. Like clay in the hands of the potter so are you in the hands of our Lord. And that is why Paul ends this letter with two questions, two questions that I think are important for us to ask ourselves. One question in verse 35 where he says, who shall separate us from the love of God? I'm sorry, verse 31 first. If God is for us, who can be against us? Read that with me again. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now think about this for a moment. When Paul asks that question, he follows it up with two statements. He tells us we have two intercessors in the throne of God. We have the Spirit himself interceding with God, groaning as we're, here we're told, groaning. Paul says creation groans for the new creation to come about. We groan. Do you groan? I groan when I think about the brokenness in my own heart. And I think, God, would you please fix that side of me? Would you, would you please take that away? We groan waiting for, for that day when we will be like Jesus. I want to be kinder. I want to be more compassionate. And I want to be patient. I want to do those things, but I'm not always those things. So I groan to God without words I always sometimes. Oh, my goodness, I just did that again. Did you do that? You ever do that? Why am I still stuck here? Creation groans. And Paul says the Spirit himself groans to God on our behalf. The spirit who is in you and knows your brokenness, knows where you're stuck, 
He groans to the father and says, here, let's work on this part. Yeah, yeah, let's work on this little corner over here. Yeah, Ines needs a little edge soothed right there. Oh, my goodness. Let's fix that. The spirit groans for us. And then we're told Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the father, he intercedes for us as well. In verse 34, he says, Christ who died, more than that, the one who was raised to life, he's at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. We have two intercessors, two members of the Holy Trinity interceding on our behalf as God works for the good, the good conforming us into the image of his son. Is anything, anything going to come against us? Can anything come between God and his creation? Can you picture that? Who can come against us? No one. And then the second question. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Did you notice, those of you who could see well, when Angie was working on the clay, like she was in the zone, wasn't she? When artists, when they're in the zone, like our musicians today and the worship team, when they're in the zone, they're like so in love with what they're doing. That's God for you. He's so in love with you and what he's doing. He's creating something beautiful. Nothing's going to separate you from his love. Paul reminds us we are more than conquerors, super conquerors. Because of what Jesus has done and because of the power of the spirit that is in us, we are being conformed. We are being conformed. We are works in progress. Yeah, maybe not looking that great right now, but we're on the path. And nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, whose intention is to finish what he begins. God always, always finishes his work. What he begun in you, he will bring to completion. Don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. Don't think you're down. Don't think you're stuck. Don't think you will never be fixed. He will finish what he starts. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, not the present, not the future, no power, no height, no death, nothing in all creation will stop God from the good he plans to do in you and I. Do I hear an amen? Like the clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in the hands of the Lord. He loves you. He wants to conform you, and he will accomplish his work. And so as we respond to this game-changing truth, I hope that you, as you walk up, you see the clay, you're reminded, that's you, in the hands of God. And he loves working on you. And as we come to the table of communion, we're reminded that there was a heavy price paid for us to be made into the image of Christ. And we go to the cross no longer under the oppression of sin, no longer being slaves to sin. We are free. So we can confess. We can agree with God. Hey, God, uh, you, can you work on this? I got to give you this part of my life because it's not working right. Can you help me with this? And we come to the candles. We light them up to be reminded that we, there is hope. There is hope. You are not beyond hope. You are not beyond repair. You are not going to get stuck forever. God will accomplish his work in you. You are going to be a beautiful, 
If you're not already, you're a beautiful creation. I know God looks at you and says, oh my goodness, look what I'm making. Look what I'm making in you. So you don't lose hope. Light a candle to remind yourself in that. And our elder will be here with his wife and the prayer team around. Maybe you need someone to pray with you to remind you of this powerful truth. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He's conforming you into the most precious image, the image of his son. Would you stand and respond? Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.